And Father, it is at that name, Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we thank you for sending your son to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death we deserve to die, and to be raised so we could have eternal life. God, we praise you for that truth. And now I just pray that by the power of your spirit, you would use your word to change us, to draw us to you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the fact that you go before us. And Father, I just ask that if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's great to see you all. I'm going to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you so you can follow along. And uh, God has a lot to say. Now, one of the things that we're going to be doing here is we're going to be covering a lot of text, so you're going to have to listen really fast. Um, and uh, we're going to be actually hitting the nine, or excuse me, the ten plagues. Somebody said to me, uh, why don't we just do one plague a week? And I'm thinking, how do you kill a church in ten weeks? Well, this week we're going to talk about the flies. Well, so anyway, as a part of our ongoing discipleship, our women's ministry has been going through on Thursday mornings a study on heaven. And they've been very encouraged by what God is showing they have in store for them once we go to heaven. And so the women have been incredibly encouraged. On the flip side, on Friday mornings, the men are studying about counterfeit gods, about idols in our hearts, and we are walking away very convicted about the, about the idols that we have in, heart, the women's, in our hearts. The women are walking away encouraged, and we're walking away, okay, I got to deal with this, this idol in my heart. And uh, I say that because when you get to... Exodus chapter 7 and following, you see that the Egyptians were world-class idol worshipers. I mean, they were as good at worshiping idols as anybody in history. So what is an idol? Well, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, to your meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. Strong statement. It could be money. It could be relationships. It could be patriotism. It could be materialism. It could be uh, success. It could be ministry success. It could be education, self-righteousness. The fact is that idols are something we have to continually battle. God is jealous for his own, and he does not want idols in our life. Listen to what Philip Ryken in his book on Moses says about Egyptian idols. He says there were about 80 major deities in Egypt, a deity, a, a god, little g, gods, all clustered about the three great natural forces of Egyptian life. And we're going to talk about each one of these. The Nile River, the land, and the sky. The first two plagues were against the gods of the Nile. The next four were against the gods of the land. And the final four plagues were against the gods of the sky, culminating the death of the firstborn. So you're going to see this epic battle between these little gods 
that the Egyptians followed and the one true God. Guess who wins? Every time. One of the things we learn from this passage, and I want to put it up on the screen, is that God will not share his glory with anyone or anything. When you see this epic battle, you see that God is jealous for his glory, and he will not share his glory with anyone or anything. In fact, when we get to the Ten Commandments, which will probably be sometime in the spring, and in uh, Exodus chapter 20, you'll see the first command is, you shall have no other gods before me. It's pretty clear. In fact, listen to what, listen to what Isaiah 42, 8 says. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He says, I give my glory to no one. So let's look at some lessons from the plagues. Lessons from the plagues. <laughs> There's some things we can learn about the plagues. And you think, what? Like, what do you learn from the plagues? Well, we're going to learn a few things. First of all, and this is going to sound familiar, God will not share his glory with anyone or anything. We've already spoken about that. But we see that God is going to, he tells us why these plagues are so important. In fact, if you look at chapter 7, verse 5, it says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel out from among them. You can see that phrase over and over again. Look at, look at verse 17. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. How about chapter 8, verse 10? And he said, tomorrow Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. You can see it again in chapter 8, verse 20, 22, where it says that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of you. Over and over again, God declares, I am the Lord. And you're going to know that there is none like me. God is jealous for his glory. But the fact is, I believe this is a grace towards us that he lets us know that we're not to worship any other lords. God has revealed himself to us through creation. The heavens declare his glory. But through his word, he has told us how to have a relationship with him. With him. And he's, he's declared to us clearly how we are to interact with him and that we're not to have any other gods before us. Now, you see at the end of the plagues when the nation of Israel has been taken out of Egypt, and that's kind of a spoiler alert if you didn't know that that was ultimately what was going to happen. In chapter 18, verse 11, when, when, when Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, he, he looks back and he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. He understands that there's no God like the one true God. He makes it very clear. When we look at these plagues, they challenge us with the words that you see in, in, in and throughout Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, which says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, if you truly hear what God is saying, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. In other words, repent, turn from your sin before it's too late. All right, that's the first lesson.
God will not share his glory with anyone or anything. Second lesson, God always honors obedience no matter the outcome. God always, always honors obedience. And we have seen that Moses finally submits to God and he does what the Lord commands. Look at chapter 7, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. What's that called? Obedience. Did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. So far so good. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. That would have been a little bit discouraging for Moses. I mean, here, he, here he's done this great act of God, this miracle of God, and these sorcerers are practicing these magic arts, and they do the same thing. Verse 12. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. That is cool. I would have loved to have seen that. Like this, 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 this snake, this serpent just swallowing up these staffs. Things didn't work out the way Moses had planned. But you're going to find that he continues to be obedient to what God calls him to do. In fact, verse 13 says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord has said. Listen, God always honors obedience no matter the outcome. Here's the third lesson. My hard-heartedness can impact those around me. So if my hard-heartedness can impact those around me, your hard-heartedness can impact those around you. And we're going to see as we look at these plagues how Moses' ongoing hard-heartedness had devastating impact on those around him. What does it mean to be hard-hearted? Warren Wiersbe wrote this, and I think it was a great quote. He says, to harden your heart means to see clear evidence of the hand of God at work and still refuse to accept his word and submit to his will. Like, you see God doing miracles, and you still reject. Well, let me ask a question. How many of you, your lives have been dramatically changed by salvation in Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand. Okay, those are miracles. People can see, like our family saw a miracle in our lives. I mean, they saw how far we were gone and they saw how far, how much we changed. But yet, well, let's go back to that same quote. They're, they refuse to accept his word and submit to his will. It means to resist him by showing ingratitude and disobedience and not having any fear of the Lord or of his judgment. Hard-hearted people say with Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? We're going to see what happens to someone that is hard-hearted. But also we're going to see the impact it has on those around them. In fact, look at, verse seven, look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Here's the question. Do you have a hard heart? If someone says that you need to forgive, does your heart harden? If someone says that you are to love your spouse unconditionally, 
is your heart hardened? See, as you study Pharaoh's response to these plagues, you see the spiritual moral deterioration of a man who wouldn't submit to the Lord. But not only did he pay a price for his rebellion, but those around him paid a, 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 an expensive price for rebellion. It impacted all those around him. In fact, what you're going to see throughout this text is the word all. Like There was blood all through the land. There were fleas, there were gnats all through the land. The boils came upon all the people. Hail came upon all the people and livestock. All the firstborn died. The fact is, my hard-heartedness can impact those around me. That's why it's so important that today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. Well, that brings us now to the fourth lesson. God's judgment may worsen if you don't repent. What's repentance? It's to turn from your sin. It's you're going one way and you turn a completely different way. God's judgments will worsen if you don't repent. Now, Pharaoh considered himself a god. But he's going to find out when facing the one true God, he's met his match. He's in way over his head. And we're going to see how each plague gets progressively work. Each plague gets progressively worse. Now, if you've been around my preaching any period of time, you're going to know that I preach verse by verse. I don't skip over words, but there's, there's numerous things that are repeated in these passages. So we're going to hit bits and pieces as we go through these, these uh, three and a half chapters. Now, let the plagues begin. Let's first look at the plagues against the Nile. There were two. First of all, the water turned to blood. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Now, we talked about that last week when it says that they may serve me in the wilderness. It's the idea of worshiping. God desires our worship. So he wants to get them away from the idol worshipers of, of Egypt and get them to a place where they can worship him. Uh, but so far you have not obeyed. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. This was, a, this was a, an absolute horrific thing for the people of Egypt. They, they, the Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. In fact, if there was no Nile, there would really be no country. It wouldn't exist. But we see God's grace as he warns, and we're going to see over and over again. There's a couple times he doesn't warn about a plague, but he warns the people about the plagues. And, and, and so often God warns us, and that's his grace. So we see that the wouldn't just be the Nile, but look at verse 19. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. 
even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. I mean, there is no water. It's all blood. I mean, just, and, and this has been a horrific moment for the people of Israel, I mean, of, of uh, Egypt. The fish died. There would have been tens of thousands, if not millions, of dead fish. You ever smelled a dead fish before? I mean, how about a thousand dead fish? I mean, this would have been, this would have been horrific. But notice verse 22, drop down to verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he wouldn't listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. I mean, they were just desperate for water. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So what's interesting is you see God performs this miracle, but then they, they march out once again, the magicians, and, and they get some water and they turn it to blood. What's wrong with that? Like they don't need more blood. What do they need? Fresh water. Okay, if you really have power, magicians, turn that blood back to water, but they, their powers were powerless against the one true God very clear. False gods have no power. Well, that's, that's the first plague. Here's the second plague, the infestation of the frogs. Now, how many of you like frog legs? Like, you just love frog legs. Friday night frog legs. Anybody? Okay. I, frog legs actually are pretty delicious, but not to the Egyptians. Frogs, they, they, they worship frogs. They had, a, they had a frog goddess. Her name was Heket, and it was, it was, a, it was a, a human with a frog face. That would be awkward. Look at verse, chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens. And your kneading bowls, you're making bread. And out pops a frog. The frog shall come upon you and on your people and on all your servants. God warns them, you want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs. I mean, there was frogs everywhere. And it's believed that they, were, that, that they couldn't kill the frogs because they were, they were considered to be protected. So we see that there's a ch there's a, it seems like there's a little break in Pharaoh's heart, the first sign of relenting, but it's not real. Look at verse 8. Drop down to verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me, from my people, and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. There's a little bit of a break. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and to be left only in the Nile. What he was saying in the Nile, he, what he was saying is like, okay, tell me when you want this to be done. I'm going to have it done. That way you know that God is who he says he is. And so, interesting, Pharaoh, I couldn't understand his response. He says, he said, tomorrow. Like, what's wrong with today? Pharaoh, why, why are you doing this? Moses said, be it as you say so that you may know that there is none 
There is no one like the Lord our God. He was just wanting to get out from under the trial. He was, there was this kind of a false repentance that was taking place here. So the next day, all the frogs are taken away. Look at verse 13. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I mean, think about how many thousands and tens of thousands of frogs are like piled up. So Johnny, what would you do today? Piled up frogs. I mean, it's just like they're just piling them up and they just stink. It would have been horrific. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So now we move from the plagues against the Nile to the plagues against the land. And we get to the nasty gnats. The nasty gnats, and they come with no warning. The, the first two plagues are with a warning, but now there's no warning. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now, we know that dust comes from the ground. The soil of the Nile, Nile, of the, of the, um, of the Nile Delta is some of the most fertile in the world. And this is judgment against the God of the, of, of, of the land whose name was Set. Take the dust and turn it into gnats. Let me ask you, have you ever like ridden your bike or been walking or running or something and you just like, you go through this, these, it's just, I don't know, it's just, these nasty gnats and they get in your ears, they get in your eyes, they get in your nose, they, you breathe them in and you just like, you got to walk about three or four feet and you get out of them, but it's like, they're, 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 they're everywhere. But here, you couldn't get out of them. It was everywhere you went, there was gnats. Again, you see God's judgment on the people. This would have been horrific. Look at verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but note this, but they could not. So there are gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. See, they, they're starting to recognize there may be a softening of the heart. This, this is not just magic arts that he's doing. This is the finger of God. How did Pharaoh respond? But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's heart hardens more. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. And we see this taking place here. When we move from the nasty gnats to the swarm of flies. And again, Moses warns Pharaoh. Look at verse 20. The Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Let me ask you, does the Lord change his message? You know what? Billy, I know you're not wild about this message. I'm going to change my message for you. The Lord doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
His message is always the same. Let my people go that they may serve me, verse 21. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And then you're going to see something that becomes a real key here. But... On that day, verse 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. Remember, that's where the the land of Israel was. Where my people dwell so that no swarm of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did, did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the servants' houses throughout all the land of, the Egypt, of, of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Now, I get one fly in the kitchen, I go nuts. Like, anybody else, have you ever broken anything trying to kill a fly? Like, you're just like, you're, you're intent on getting rid of this fly. And it's like, I hate the fact that I miss them. Like, I, like I might be not as fast as I used to be. And the flies just continue to fly. Okay, put yourself in ancient Egypt. These were swarms of flies. There was not like killing one. Like the flies are trying to kill you. There's like flies everywhere. This would have been, once again, just it would have been a horrific thing. Millions and millions of flies. Can you imagine the sound? Horrible. But you see in the midst of this plague, in the midst of God's judgment, you see God's grace. God makes a distinction between those that are his and those that aren't. Those that are his are protected from from God's wrath. They're protected from God's judgment. Yet those that reject the Lord, that continue to walk with hard-heartedness, are the ones that are judged. We'll see that now. He continues with that. In fact, look at what Psalm 91 says. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. We're protected from God's wrath. Well, Pharaoh, hating the infestation, he tries to compromise. And, you know, he's, he's thinking he can compromise with God. Look at verse 25. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Well, what did they what did God want them to do? He wanted them to go three days' journey. But Pharaoh says, well, I'll let you guys go within the land. But Moses said, and I love this about Moses, it would not be right for, uh, to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offering, offerings abominable, abominable to the Egyptians, like, that's a hard word. Can you say abominable three times really fast? Try it. See, you can't do it either. We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord as he tells us. Like, we're called to go and do what God tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far. Plead for me. I mean, you see see Pharaoh wanting to compromise, and so often we see People compromise God's command, picking and choosing what might be right for them versus what God demands. And this is a picture of Pharaoh's pride, thinking, I can negotiate with God. I can bargain with God because I'm a God. Certainly, he'll bargain with me. And 
Like whenever we think we can bargain with God, we're just saying, like, I'm a God. I should be able to bargain with you. Well, Pharaoh makes an empty promise. Moses intercedes for him. God relents. But look at verse 32. Was it 32 that I wanted to go to? Yeah. Verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. That brings us to the fifth plague, the loss of livestock. Look at verse, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. So once again, you see God is, is good, like, this is going to be an incredible plague against the livestock. God is exposing the futility of their empty religion, the, the vanity of false gods. The, the, the Egyptians, many times, they, they, they worshiped certain animals. They had all kinds of sacred cows. Some worshiped bulls for fertility and power. Look at verse 5. And the Lord set a time. Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel would dead. So he sent somebody over into Goshen. Like all of our livestock are like laying down dead, feet up. Hoofs up. And you go into Goshen, hoofs down. I mean, just, you see this dr dramatic distinction between those that were under God's grace and those under God's condemnation. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let people go. Now we get to the last of the plagues on the land, and it's the boils of the on the body. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Now these were probably the kilns from the bricks that they were making to build buildings. And let, let Moses throw them in the air in sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. Once again, there's no warning on this one. Now, the magicians and the priests, as part of their religious activities, would take the soot from the kilns and they would throw it up in the air to bless the people. God said, I'll show you what I think of your, your ritual. I'm going to take that dust and we're going to turn it into boils. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a boil, but we had a son. We still have that son. But when he was younger, he would get a boil every once in a while. And they were not fun. We had to actually take him to the hospital a couple times. He'd have one, and it was brutally painful. These are boils all over the body. 
And the Egyptians, they took great pride in their cleanliness. They took great pride in their, in their healing arts. And once again, you see God going against those healing arts. Their bodies were covered. It would have been excruciating. But where are their healing gods now? See, this was another attack on their false gods and on Pharaoh. Look at verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon the, all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now we see the Lord hardening the heart of Pharaoh. It's been hard. And he continues to get harder. And now the Lord continues to harden it more. And he did not listen to, Mo, to, to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Can you see his hard-heartedness and how it's starting to impact everyone around him? I mean, it's been doing it really the whole time. I think of what's going on in Russia and how Putin, his hard-heartedness is not only impacting his nation, but other nations around him. Look at Proverbs 29.1. I found this to be just a stark reminder. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as in the day of rebellion. Now we go from the plagues against the Nile to the plagues against the land to the plagues against the air, and we get the seventh plague, hail from heaven. Hail from heaven. Now, there are parts of Egypt, I looked this up, that get less than one inch of rain a year. It's one of the driest countries in the world. But not this week. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my, out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, and this becomes shocking, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Like I have raised you up. I've allowed this for a purpose. God will not be mocked. Verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. You are exalting yourself. God resists the proud. He rewards, your, he rewards the humble. Humble yourself before him and he will exalt you in due time. 1 Peter chapter 5. But not, but not him. Look at verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, ran down to the earth. That would be lightning. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as he had never, as had never been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. 
like the contrast is screaming. I mean, this was a hailstorm of biblical proportions. We, you know, we have downbursts here. You know, you get a, a certain region. They had it in Scottsdale about a year ago where up, up by, um, I believe it was uh, Hayden and north of Cactus, you had a downburst and you, know, you had all these these uh, power poles that went down and fences went down when this, this, this downburst just blew out this area. But this was over all of the land, except you step over into Goshen, sunny skies. Cows are grazing. No gnats, no flies. Doesn't stink. Pretty crazy to think about that. Look at verse 23. Actually, excuse me. Um, look at verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and said to them, This time I have sinned. Sounds like repentance, doesn't it? This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. So far, so good. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall... Stay no longer. You think Moses was buying it? Verse 29, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. He had a form of godliness in that moment, but denied the power. There was no true repentance. There was no real change. Moses saw through it. Listen, it's not just the words you speak, but it's the heart with which you speak it. Pharaoh was just trying to get out from under the plague. He was trying to get out from under the judgment. He was willing to do anything. He would say anything. Just make it stop. He was willing to do anything but turn from his sin. It's a false Repentance. Verse 34, then Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had ceased. He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Here's what we're seeing. God's judgments may worsen if you don't repent. And that's what's happening here. So in come the locusts, the locusts of the land, the eighth of the plagues, chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among you, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I dwelt, how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord." And what's amazing is when ultimately the nation of Israel was led out, even today the Jews speak of the plagues. They speak of God's hand in bringing their people out. And so what he is saying here is that, that you may tell in the hearing of your son, verse 2, and your grandson, how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians. It's a sign. It's something we need to understand, that you may know that I am the Lord. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. 
I think that's a great question. How long will we continue to refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord? We're continuing to resist him. God resists the proud. He rewards the humble. So God sends the plague of locusts on the land. The swarm of locusts came and any leaf or plant that had survived was now completely stripped. And Pharaoh's heart was was completely hardened. Now we get the ninth plague and it's feeling the darkness. Feeling the darkness. I read this quote. Nothing says judgment like darkness and death. This is what plagues 9 and 10 were about. There was a felt darkness. Look at, look at uh, verse 21 of chapter 10. Verse 21 of chapter 10. Y'all still with me? All right, it's getting, getting ready to get dark. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness to be felt. You could feel it. You could cut it with a knife. It would be so dark. Well, look at verse 22 says. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt these days. For uh, Egypt, three days. They did not see one another. So it's like right now, you couldn't see me. You couldn't see the person next to you. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Okay, I'm in Egypt. I step over into the land of Goshen, and it's light. But in Egypt, it's a deep darkness. It's a felt darkness. When I was young, my family traveled down to Mammoth Cave, and it comes by its name, honestly. It's Mammoth. And, you know, you're in there, you're looking at the slagtites, the slagmites, and, and uh, you're trying to remember which is on the top and which is on the bottom, and it's, it's confusing. But at, at any rate, one point they said, okay, everybody stand in place. We're going to turn out the lights. And it was pitch black. You could put your hand right here. You couldn't see your hand. I believe that's what we, what we see happening here. It was a felt darkness. It was, it was, it was a, it was just, it was a, it was a supernatural darkness. What's amazing, Egypt has about 350 days a year of sun, more than us. And they worship the sun god, Ra. I'm guessing they're crying out, hello, Ra, where are you? We could use a little light down here, Ra. Where are you, Ra? But like has no power against the one true God. Pharaoh tried to get Moses to compromise again. But Moses had God on his side and there was no need to compromise. Look at verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, your little uh, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Once again, how do you sacrifice? In fact, he talks about that. But Moses said, You must also let us sacrifice. You must ha- let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Um, Not true. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And then in chapter 11, we're not going to look at it today. But the final plague is threatened. It's the death of the firstborn. God warns Pharaoh one last time, and it is, the, it, is, it is the worst of all the plagues. And I was just reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, that says this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's go back to our lessons from the beginning. We said at the beginning that God will not share his glory with anyone with, with, with anyone or anything. And we see that being true here. But as it was true then, it is still true today. Secondly, we talked about the fact that God always honors obedience no matter what happens, no matter the outcome. And you see Moses at a point where he's just continuing to be obedient, trusting the Lord for the outcome. Some of you just may need to continue to be obedient, trusting the Lord For the outcome, third lesson we learned is your hard heart affects those around you. If you continue in a hard heart, it could affect your kids, it could affect your parents, it could affect your spouse, it could affect your co-workers, your, your roommates, whatever. That's why today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but pray for God to soften your heart. And finally, God's judgment may worsen if you don't repent and Pharaoh is standing on the precipice of the ultimate judgment. But the fact is, Jesus came into this world to save us from the ultimate judgment. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. This is God's grace. Those under God's judgment were standing in deep darkness. But yet those that were protected by Christ were in the light. They were the ones in Goshen. The other ones were the ones in Egypt. And as our worship team comes up, I want to just ask you, where are you? Are you in Goshen, protected By the Lord, or are you in Egypt under God's wrath? See, until you put your faith and trust in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are under God's wrath. It's very clear. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's Goshen. The wages of sin is death. That's Egypt. Where are you? Today, if if for some reason it was your last day here on earth, where would you end up? Would you spend eternity in heaven because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or would you put your would you be in, in hell in eternal darkness? Because you've never surrendered your life to Christ. The fact that we have this account is God's amazing grace to us. 
Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. Father, thank you for your love for us. That was so clearly exhibited by Jesus laying down on the cross and being raised. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Father, we know that but for the grace of God, we're, we're no different than the Egyptians. But Lord, you have declared yourself to us through your word and you have declared how we can have eternal life. And I pray that we would be a people that would walk in obedience, that would walk in your truth. And I do pray right now, if there's anyone that doesn't know Jesus, they would surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.